Buonasera! My name is Marcello. I am a tour leader with Explore. Ciao! Come, follow me. Behind this 200 year old gate is the best view of one of Rome's finest fountains. Ah, oh, bellissima! Look at the Renaissance detail, the sunlight in the bronze! Not everyone knows about Turtle Fountain, but you will if you explore. Search explore.co.uk and don't just travel, explore. Are you, like me, a spinster? Are you single, child-free and tired of the stigma attached to your situation in life? Are you actually having a bloody great time living your best life while all of your friends are tied up with their husbands and kids? If you think being a spinster is actually pretty awesome and you want to change the old-fashioned narrative, you want people to realize that not having a relationship or kids gives you the freedom to live a fabulous life all on your own terms. If this is you, then you've come to the right place. If, on the other hand, you're a spinster who isn't feeling quite so great about it, you've also come to the right place. Because I want you to feel great about it. I want you to know that your life is just as valid, valuable, and meaningful as anyone else's. If you're also interested in personal growth and working on yourself to become the best possible version of you, then you're in luck. Because we're also going to be talking about my other obsession, personal development and how we can use the extra time we've been gifted due to our lack of relationship in children and use that time to really become the people we want to be. I'm excited and I hope you are too. Join me every Tuesday for episodes with just me or me and one of my brilliant guests. My name is Lucy Megason. I'm so glad that you're here. Welcome to Spinsterhood Reimagined. Very warm welcome back to Spinsterhood Reimagined. So my guest on today's episode is very, very, very special because we were at school together when we were 13, from the age of 13 to 18. So I have the privilege of calling this person my friend as well as my guest. Her name is Marie Phillips and she is a writer and storyteller based in London. Her debut novel called God's Behaving Badly was released in 2007 and it was an international bestseller and it was made into a film starring Christopher Walken and Sharon Stone. Um, Her subsequent novels include The Table of Less Valued Nights, Oh I Do Like To Be and Create Your Own Midlife Crisis. 
She also wrote her first radio series, War Horses of Letters, with the playwright Robert Hudson in 2011, and it starred Stephen Fry and Daniel Rigby, and ran for three seasons on BBC Radio 4. She has been storytelling since 2019 and has toured Europe with various shows, and I am delighted to have her on the podcast. Marie really is a brilliant, brilliant mind, and a brilliant, brilliant person, so we Without further ado, please welcome my fabulous guest, Marie Phillips. Marie Phillips. Oh my gosh. Thank you for joining me and a very warm welcome to Spinsterhood Reimagined. Now, before we say anything else, Marie and I were at school together. We weren't just at school together. We were at boarding school together. And we weren't just at boarding school together. We were in the same house together and the same year. Therefore, we shared a dormitory with 11 other girls when we were 13 fucking years old. <laughs> so can we just say, holy fucking shit. It's wild. And in fact, before we um, started recording now, we were both just saying, weren't we, how we literally cannot get our heads around the fact that we're both pushing 50. Yeah, anyway. yeah. It's absolutely insane. It's absolutely insane. And you know, we're 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 having this interview on Zoom, so I can see I can see Lou's face and she can see me. And and it's like no time has passed at all. Like you you it's really funny. I think someone said that when you meet people who are new new to you, who are your age, they look your age. But when you see people who you've known your whole life, you look at them and they're the age that they were when you met. So I just look at, at Lucy and I see 13. Same here, same here. We stay young through each other's eyes. Yeah. Words yeah. of a Whitney Houston song, actually. But no, it, it's so true because you look exactly the same to me. And what's weird, I think what's crazy about time, don't even get me started on time. It's just such a weird concept. But what is crazy is that you and I, just so the listeners know, we've been very sporadically in touch for the last 20 odd years. So. Yeah. Yeah. Last couple of times that I can remember seeing you was, I mean, ages ago when you launched when you when you released your first book, God's Behaving Badly, which we'll obviously get onto. Mm-hmm. Um, Marie is an author, but I'll let I'll let her tell you. Well, not just an author; she's many things, but one of the things that she is is an, is an amazing author. And I do you remember I came to your book launch in Islington with Annie? Do you remember? Oh yeah, her? of course. Yeah. Yeah, and then, and then another time I remember seeing you. I came for dinner at your gorgeous, gorgeous house in Islington. But again, this was years ago. But I remember that house because I love it so much. It's like one of those kind of baby houses. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, we well, are yeah. not there anymore, are you? But we'll get onto that. Mm-hmm. Actually, but I haven't even let you speak yet. But let me just say that. You, so when I asked you if you'd come on the podcast, you were single. And then I didn't realize that you'd got into a relationship. So you are now in a relationship. And I've recently found out that you have moved in with your boyfriend. So, so that's the whole thing. But before we dive into this conversation, can you just tell our listeners who you are, what you do, just to put yourself in context? Thank you very much. (laughs) 
Well, other than being an old school school friend of Lucy's, which is obviously the most important thing <laughs> about who I am, uh, formative years, very important. Um, yeah. I am a writer and a performer. So I've written a few novels. My most famous one that Lou mentioned is called God's Behaving Badly, which came out a scarily long time ago now. Like, I think it's 16 years it's still to me. I know, I know, I know. It's nuts. And I've written a few other novels. I've written a um, choose your own adventure book for adults called Create Your Own Midlife Crisis, um, which is all about uh, getting to this stage in life and uh, wondering how you ended up here and all the ways in which you might choose to throw it all up in the air and sabotage the uh, possibly safe, possibly boring feeling existence. I mean, I'm not suggesting that everyone in midlife feels that their life is safe and boring, but there is that feeling of the road less traveled. Um, so that is the theme of my most recent book. And I'm also a storyteller and a performer. And I've, uh, I studied storytelling. I lived in Amsterdam for the best part of six years and I, I studied storytelling while I was there. And I now, actually more and more perform with musicians um so combining storytelling with um with music and with song i do not sing i would make <laughs> that clear if i'm if i'm performing with musicians they are musicking and i am storying there is no crossover <laughs> um and i'm working on my first one woman show which i've been invited to create for the amsterdam storytelling festival in november um, oh, oh my will, gosh yeah I know it's exciting I'll be um yeah so I'm, I'm I'm just at the beginning of putting that together so that'll be my first my first time out on the stage alone oh um, great tell yeah, me so, a bit more about that where so where are you going with it in your head have you got it sort of how far along are you with it in terms of writing well it? I'm 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 notorious for saying that I'm doing one thing and then you ask me six months later and I've done something completely different. So I feel like that's a caveat. I always have to put at the beginning of any discussion of a work in progress. <laughs> but the festival is based on the theme of liberation. And so I'm going to be telling the story of my, well, I'm intending to tell the story of my grandmother, my mother's mother who lived in Algeria in um, through the 20th century um, she was born in 1917. She married in her early 20s and had two daughters during uh, World War II, including my mum, who was born during a bombing raid and all the hospital staff went into the basement. She had to give birth to my mum on her own. Oh, gosh, I never um, And then after the, the death of her third child at three days old, her marriage broke down and she then um, left her daughters behind and moved to France with a new relationship. And then my mother didn't see her again for another 10 years until after the Algerian War of Independence. So um, it's about her, you know, her life, her choices, and then my relationship with her as a, as a child and, and, and as a young woman and how my understanding of her story has changed over the years as I've got older and as I've kind of lived through the years where she made these different life decisions. You know, you go from not knowing to knowing but not understanding through a kind of condemnation to a better kind of understanding because the the kinds of decisions that a woman might make in her mid-20s feel very different to me at 47 than they did at, you know when everything seemed more clear to me when I was younger but you know my all my morals were much more black and white and I'm I'm, I'm much more in the gray now in terms of understanding why 
why people why people choose to do the things that they do. So it's a real journey of of uh, exploration and discovery for me. Are you? Um, I'm assuming that you're putting a comic twist on it because that's. Well, funny enough, for some reason, when I perform, it tends to not be as funny as when I write. And I don't I don't really know why that is. I mean, the, the other show that I'm doing, at this, so I'm doing two shows at that festival. The other one is with these musicians, and it's based on a myth from Ovid, which is all about, like, I don't know if you know the myth, but it's the myth of Philomela and Procne and um, Terrorist. Remind me. <laughs> it basically, a princess Mary gets married, and then she goes off to live where, in the on a different island, you know, in Greece or whatever, or the greater wherever Greek myths take place. Actually, by the time you're Ovid, it's Rome. But anyway, the point is, she gets taken off, and then she misses her sister, so she asks her husband to go and get her to for a visit, and then her husband becomes overwhelmed with lust, and instead of bringing her sister back, he um, he locks her up in the woods and rapes her and then cuts her tongue out so she can't tell anybody and then comes back and says that she's died and then more things happen like the consequences of that happen that's not a funny show either just going to say that that show not funny very much not funny couple of jokes at the beginning maybe one at the end but in the middle very much not funny so somehow my stage persona for reasons I don't fully understand tends to be more serious than my um than my written persona but i mean the story of my grandmother will just be what it will be i mean she was she herself could be a very funny woman and so that will come through um and she was always urging me to have fun and enjoy my life and dance and get into mischief so it won't feel i don't think it will feel heavy but it's you know it goes it goes to some to some dark places she had a complex life Wow. I mean, how interesting to really delve into your grandmother's life. I mean, I think it's it's so interesting, isn't it? How, and I, and actually, as you're talking, I'm feeling a real sense of sort of regret my, um, about having, you know, there's that thing of, of do we ask enough questions to the adults that have a big role in our life? Like, I mean, I immediately think of my dad, who you'll, you'll probably remember mm. he died coming up 20 years ago, believe it or not. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I still to this day wish that I had had more conversations about his life because, you know, our parents and our grandparents, they, to us, they are a granny or a mum or a dad or a granddad. Do you know what I mean? And and I think certainly as kids and young adults, we find it hard to separate that from who they are and the fact that actually they are a human being who had an entire life before we came along. So I imagine it must be quite an emotional journey creating this show right yeah yeah I I really agree I really agree and actually one of the things that that I suspect will end up becoming part of the show is precisely that it's the gaps it's the it's the places that I didn't ask questions or that my mother didn't ask questions I was I was talking to my mum about it last night and she was saying you know sometimes I'd ask her something and she'd be just like I don't know I don't know no one talked about it we didn't talk about those things in those days. I never asked. So that, you know, there are these huge, huge gaps. And actually, it's the same, you know, my my grandmother on the other side was also a very interesting woman. She was the daughter of Sephardi Jewish immigrants from Egypt. She um, They spoke Ladino at home, which is the kind of Sephardi Spanish-like language spoken by Jews of that descent. She, you know, she she had multiple sclerosis, which she was in complete denial about. Um, she and my 
grandfather worked for the Mars camp- company and traveled the world like buying chocolate essentially so buying cocoa from in different countries and and the kids were all in boarding school um while they were away and you know so so these stories i think particularly of women and women's lives i think you know to go back to the theme of your podcast you know you it's it's redefining spinsterhood but in a way you know it's redefining womanhood as not being all about your relationship and that's why i think you know i don't feel like a fraud coming on being not a spinster <laughs> because the fact is none of us know what's coming anyone who's in a marriage may find themselves no longer in a marriage for any number of reasons at some point in the future and and so for me the whole idea is you know when i look at my grandmother when i look at, at both of my grandmothers and my, and my mother of course or any other woman that i know with my family aunts you know you you realize that people that the women are not just about their relationships you know we make decisions about all kinds of things about how we want to live and the the kind of the way that society wants to put the man at the center of everything is a way of restricting us and is a way of telling us that these other things that we do that these other things about us these other ways that we are human don't matter and are not as important so for me it's it's you know i think back to the kinds of things that my grandmother would talk about and she'd always talk dancing was so big for her she'd always talk about how we had, should she made me promise go dancing go dancing and she would describe how in the second world war of course, in Algeria um, was one of the places that that the Americans had air bases in order to conduct the the war in up in sort of Africa, and you know she'd go out dancing with all the the American soldiers, and then they would go off, you know, on bombing raids or whatever, and then of course so many of them wouldn't come back, and you know these these are the stories. She she was involved in um, in helping pass on papers to people who needed to get out of to get out of the country. Um, and so there would be papers being forged. There's a bit of a plot line in Casablanca that there are people waiting for these papers that are going to get them out of North Africa. And my my um, great-grandfather used to be involved in, in, in p- creating or passing on these papers, and she was also involved in that. So, you know, it's these stories of women that is more than the stories of of relationships and the stories of motherhood and where they are stories about motherhood that are often complicated. You know, she, she left her children behind in the end. She didn't want to, but she had to choose because her husband wouldn't let her take them with her. She had to choose essentially between herself and her children. And it's, that's the ultimate in like monstrous choices that, that women make. And I use the word monstrous in inverted commas, but it's that is the image of the a, a, a woman is considered to be an unnatural woman if she rejects her children or if she doesn't, you know, and, and even more so if she harms her children, the kind of Medea woman. But it's also just if you just don't have them or you don't yeah. want them, yeah. then there is suspicion around you. What kind of woman doesn't want a child? And I, I mean, I don't have children. I've never strongly wanted to have children. It's partly circumstantial, but it's it's also been my choice to not to not um, pursue that. And you know, I've internalized that myself. I sometimes think to myself, "Well, who am I if I don't if I don't want this? If I don't want children?" And it's it's a theme that I often find myself coming back to in my in my research, in my reading, in my interest as a writer trying to answer that question of who what is the narrative of a woman who doesn't have 
a child or who, who is not married? Do we exist in some vacuum where we just don't do anything, which it kind of feels like, unless you're in a sci-fi movie and you're like beating up aliens, <laughs> um, like you can just about get away with it if you're Lara Croft. But in terms of just being an ordinary day-to-day person, it's I sometimes feel it's like we don't exist. What's quite shocking about what you just said, actually, is, you know, the fact that it's even a question, the fact yeah. that there is even, the fact that there just is implicitly that question of, well, who are you if you don't have kids? Yeah. Because that in itself is just feeding into the narrative that we should all have kids. And if we don't have kids, then there's something wrong with us. Marie, tell me a bit more about your thoughts around this. I, I, I'm fascinated to get your take on this, not least because you are one of the brightest people I know and have done since I was 13. And what I will say about Marie to the listeners is that I certainly didn't appreciate when we were just these little teenagers of age 13, 14. Uh, I didn't appreciate quite what a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant person and brain Marie is because she she <laughs> is. It's just a fact of life. So anyway, just wanted to say that. But but no, going- I'm giggling and blushing. I don't know what to do. <laughs> But going back to the um, the kids thing, how have you felt around your sort of, like you say, for you, it's part circumstantial and part that you sort of didn't want them. Can you just talk, you know, speak to that a bit more? Well, funnily enough, I was going through my diaries. I don't know if you remember, I used to write a diary every yeah, night. I do remember. School. I yeah. do remember. Bloody hell. Pages and pages. And then... Um, And, you know, it's terrifying looking over your teenage diaries. And I certainly didn't read them cover to cover, but I did some teaching a while ago of teenagers and I thought, okay, I should reconnect a bit. And I found this entry where I said, when I grow up, I don't want to have children. I want to travel the world and write. And I knew that, like I knew that when I was 15, like that was a very clear statement of intent. And that is probably a fundamental truth that has become distorted as I got older and first of all felt more and more this pressure that it wasn't acceptable to not want to have children so I started to think well you know people say oh when you get older you'll change your mind um so I started thinking oh yeah maybe it's a sign of immaturity maybe it's a sign of not being you know if I suffer from anxiety and um, panic disorder. And, you know, I was like, oh, it's part of that. If I were normal, if I weren't anxious, it's just because I'm anxious that I don't want to have kids because I don't think I could cope and so on. And then, you know, my nieces and nephews started arriving. I have nine nieces and nephews now. Yeah, the oldest is mid-20s and the youngest is 13. Oh, my gosh. And, um, and, you know, I adore them. So then there was a part of me that thought, well, you know, maybe I would be happy with children because I really love hanging out with my nieces and nephews. And it's a privilege to watch them grow up. It's, it's an extraordinary, um, it's an extraordinary experience. But I also just looked at the complexity of them as, as humans, as, as equally valid, equally complex humans to who I am. And I thought if I, and this is, I would just like to make it absolutely clear that what I'm about to say is not aimed at mothers who choose to work. I'm just talking about me and what I would need. I thought if I had children, I would think I would need to be with them full time because I just don't know how I could do anything else. Like I can't, I don't understand how anyone can manage to do anything else because, because they're, they're a person. Here's a person and they need 
and they would need me and it would it would become my whole life and that would be a choice and it would be a valid choice but it would be a very different choice from from what i wanted having said that um because i really love my nieces and nephews and because i could see the joy in bringing up children i could see that it would be an incredibly fulfilling thing to do. I did think if I got into a relationship with someone who really wanted to have children, then I I would have children. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have refused to. I would have just decided that, you know, for us as a family, I would, you know, I would go in a different direction. But then as it happened, a combination of not getting into that relationship and discovering that I had um, issues of my fertility related to endometriosis, which meant that I was, you know, essentially functionally infertile from my mid thirties onwards anyway, meant that even if it had, you know, it was never really an issue. So it was never, it was, it turned out it wasn't really a possibility. It wasn't really in question. And I did grieve for that. Like when I found that out, I was, I was surprised myself of how devastated I was. Cause I think it's one thing to feel like you've made a decision and quite another to feel like the decision has been taken away from you. Yeah. But, you know, I, I really enjoy my life. And I think I'd enjoy my life if I had a more traditional looking life. But that doesn't mean that I don't enjoy my life as it is. And and, and my life suits me. Um, you know, I've, 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 I've done things and been able to concentrate on, on my work as a writer and been able to, to, um, well, as I said, when I was 15, you know, write and travel as, as much as I wanted to and needed to. I don't know if you found this depending on the ages of the people that you've spoken to, but I found being single and childless in my 30s much worse than being single and childless in my 40s. In my 30s, it felt very romantic to meet someone and to fall madly in love. And I was at weddings all the time and there were all these adorable babies. And now in my 40s, people have got lovely kids. I mean, I love my friends' kids. I love hanging out with them. There's some fantastic you know, young people coming up in the world. But at the same time, my friends no longer kind of imply even accidentally that their life is superior to mine. You know, they're just like, well, you know, I'm getting on with my life and you're getting on with your life and your life looks pretty good to me. You know, yeah. they like their life, but they don't feel it's the be all and end all. And, you know, the 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 partner who was who was like Prince Charming, you know, when they were on their wedding day is is you know, sort of snoring, farting, lovely, but, you know, bloke, just everyday bloke who they share their house with. And, and the, you know, the love is real. I don't want to belittle that, but it's just not, it's just not the kind of um, fairy tale romance. And that's kind of why I feel, so before I got together with my boyfriend, who I'm now living with, I was living with housemates. It's not that different. I mean, obviously, in some ways, it's different. But, you know, they're nice people who I like and whose company I enjoy and who I hang out and eat with and watch TV with and share my day with and laugh with and, you know, love hearing about their day and, you know, talk through the big things with. I really care. I, I love, love, well, I still love them. I don't live with them anymore, but I loved my housemates and it was wonderful. And now I live with my partner and obviously it's somewhat different, but a lot of the stuff that we do together is it's the same. It's just sharing, sharing space, sharing lives. And, and the fact that he's my boyfriend, he's, he's kind of my housemate in, in addition to that, or, in a, yeah. you know, it's, it's so, so yeah. So to go back all the way back round, I get very frustrated by the idea that um, as a woman, you're, you're the 
biggest, most central thing in your life must be your relationship and that everything else or and or your children and that everything else has to be secondary to that because we're rounded people. There's there's more going on. Absolutely. Marie, let me um, I just want to pick up on one thing that you said. It was something that we touched on before we before we started recording, which is that previous to you moving in with your now boyfriend, you were living with housemates. And we touched on the topic of how just because you're single doesn't mean that you're not getting love and all of those you know support and everything you know every emotion that we as human beings need so I'd love to hear your thoughts on that I didn't know that you were in a house share so I'm interested to hear about that apart from anything else but you obviously I know that you lived on your own when you were living in Islington yeah did you you not want to move back into your place on your own how did you end up um, were you in your sort of late thirties at that point? Or was that in your early forties? No, it would have been in your late thirties, was it? Because you were in Amsterdam in your early forties, right? So, so for most of my thirties, I lived on my own. So for most of my twenties, I had a housemate, and then for most of my thirties, I lived on my own. After God's behaving badly came out, I could afford to live alone, and it felt like the next step in my kind of growing up. Yeah, um, you know. First, you you know, first you're at school, then you go to university, then you have housemates, then you live alone, then you meet someone, then, you know, then you live with your partner, then you get married, then you have children, you know, that's, that's the order of events. Um, so, you know, I was trotting along the path, and I was really lonely living on my own. But for some weird reason, I, it just didn't occur to me to solve that problem by getting a housemate, because I just kept thinking, I'm too old, I'm too old. This is back in the day when it was affordable to live in London without a housemate. I mean, I think, you know, there's statistics that say that a woman on her own can't afford to buy her own house anywhere, you know, on average salary anywhere in the country. Um, And you're bloody lucky if you can afford to rent on your own. But at that point, I could afford it. It was a while ago. And I still could. But after I went to Amsterdam, I met um, a Dutch guy. I'd sort of gone out somewhat whimsically, feeling that, well, in fact, for the relevance, I say somewhat whimsically, brushing it under the carpet, but actually for the relevance of this podcast, I went because all my friends were getting married and having kids. I was in my late 30s and I felt I felt stuck and I felt like I wanted to change and I needed to choose something that was within my grasp, that was something that I could change, something I didn't have to wait for somebody else. I, I felt for so long that I was waiting for someone in order to make decisions. Oh, I'll decide where I want to live permanently when I'm with someone oh I'll travel when I'm with you know it's the world is not necessarily encouraging you to do these things on your own and I just got to the point where it's like I want to do something just for me so I I interject for one sec when you said you were stuck did you do you mean that you felt stuck because you weren't in a relationship and everybody around you was or were you just stuck at that point in your life for other reasons or was it was it largely to do with your relationship status at that point I think it's really hard to disentangle but I do feel like the the feeling in your 30s or at least for me the feeling in my 30s was somehow that I needed to get everything nailed down like that's your decade for sorting out your career for sorting out your relationship for having your kids and that if you get to the end of your 30s and you haven't done that you know it's too late you know, disaster, disaster. And also and, kind of what's wrong with you if you haven't. Yeah, what's wrong with you? And well-meaning people who say things like, 
but you're so lovely. I can't believe you're single. And I'm like, have you looked around? Awful people are in relationships all the time. How many, you know, you, you read about horrific, you know, murderers and serial killers who are married, you know, it doesn't, it's, it's not, it doesn't, it's, it's not a, a sort of thing where you, you become a nice person and then you're rewarded with a nice guy. And if you <laughs> don't have a nice guy, then, then either the system is broken or you are. It's, just, it's not like that. It's, yeah. That's not how it works. And we've all dated enough awful people to know that like just being in a relationship is not a sign of health or sanity. Exactly. And actually, um, it's just reminded me, I, I I did a reel. Well, no, it actually, it was off the back of it. It was one of my minisodes where it was called There's Nothing Wrong With You. And my point on the minisode was basically saying, you know, it is not the case that, you know, we're, we're made to feel as single people. I say we, me, made to yeah. feel as single people that there is something wrong with us and that's why we're single. But all yeah. you, what I said in the minisode is you only have to look around at the number of absolute fuckwits in numerous relationships. It's got nothing to do with character, yeah. whether or not you're single, because every single kind of person yeah. gets into a relationship. It's So it's so irrelevant. I think we've just yeah. got to kind of get rid and of also, that. There are enough ridiculous narratives yeah. going on about single people and that one just needs to go. Yeah, yeah. Go. in the bin. And also, <laughs> guess what? Like... You know, I am the same person I was this time last year. What's yeah. the difference? One person loves me now. I mean, romantically, other people love me, right? Which and which we'll get back to. But like in the romantic status, one person loves me. Before then, zero people loved me. So we've just gone from zero to one. <laughs> you know, it's it, the weird way that we treat people in relationships, the idea that like you are unlovable and then you become lovable. But that's not what's going on. It's just you've just gone from zero to one, maybe more if you're in like a, you know, polyamorous situation. But for the vast majority of people, you know, and yeah. then there's still however many billion people on this planet who, who are indifferent to you. So it's you know, and you have not changed. You are yeah. the same. Like you are the same just because they've anointed you with this. And it's lovely. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm very happy, but I'm still me. I'm still the same me. Yeah. So anyway, so so rewind to Amsterdam. Uh, I went out there on my own because I wanted I wanted to just I just needed something to shift in my life, and I needed to not feel and to not feel that I had failed through my thirties by not finding the man and not having the children. I needed to feel that I had made some choices for me and that I, some, my life was dynamic and that my life was within my own hands. So I went to Amsterdam. And then funnily enough, when I was in Amsterdam, I, I did get into a relationship and um, we lived together for about four years. And then when that relationship ended and I was trying to decide what to do next, one of the things that I reflected on was just how much I'd enjoyed living with him. I mean, I'd enjoyed, I'd enjoyed specifically living with him. I could, for most of the relationship, it was a good relationship. But I'd also just enjoyed living with someone. I'd enjoyed, you know, having breakfast together and chatting about things, watching telly together. Before I went to Amsterdam, I remember watching an episode of Gogglebox and crying because people had someone to talk to while they watched TV. And I just missed oh my sitting on the couch with another human. So after um, my boyfriend and I broke up, I thought, well, the other human doesn't need to sleep in my bed. Like they don't need to be in love with me. 
if I can find some people or someone or some people that I whose company I enjoy to live with, I'm going to get a lot of what I got from the relationship from that. And then I was very fortunate in that a friend of mine back in London um, had a couple of rooms going. So both her housemates were moving out at once for some reason. So so I took one of the rooms and then together we went on to, you know, spareroom.com or whatever it is and and found a third housemate. And then the three, so so we moved in, the other housemate confusingly is called Maria. So there's Maria and Marie. But anyway, so so uh, we both moved in in September of 2019, something like that. And then obviously pandemic, and then we ended up all locked up in the house together. And I thought, thank goodness, I am locked in this house with two people that I really, really like. And, you know, for me, I I hated the pandemic. It was awful. I wasn't one of these people who was like, fantastic. I'm now going to make honey from my own bees. You know, I I, I found it creatively deadening, depressing, uh, anxiety inducing and just a, a real struggle. But I had these two incredible allies to share it with. And and I was right. Like my assessment that I just like living with people was correct. And it, again, it really made me think like, it's denigrated. You know, I, I've read articles which describe living with housemates as being studenty. And I can see that if you're stuck living with housemates who you don't like, you know, then I can imagine an, an, an interrible accommodation, overcrowded, etc. I can imagine it is a nightmare. There'll be people listening to this thinking, you know, not my experience. You know, I I, I, I couldn't get out of here fast enough if, I, if only I could. But I was living with two really fantastic women, also both single. And we had an absolute blast. Like we, we, you know, we just had so much fun. We, it was, it was great. And I didn't feel that my life was lesser. I didn't feel like I, I was missing out. And I had no intention of moving out of that situation until as it happened, I got into a relationship. And as it happened, you know, I chose to move in. It's only been a few weeks. Um, so just, yeah, still living out of boxes. But and that's great. It's great. But one of the reasons that it's great, one of the reasons I think I'm I'm particularly happy about it is I didn't feel like I was running away from anything. I didn't feel like it was completing me. I didn't feel like I needed this in order to prove to myself or to anyone else that I was a fully grown woman. I, I just happened to meet someone who you know, I fell in love with and who fell in love with me. And we decided it'd be nice to, to share a house. You know, it's, it's, it's wonderful, but it's also just not, in a way, it's just not that big a deal because it's not, I like, I'm still me. I still do the work that I do. I'm still passionate about the things that I'm passionate about. I love having someone to share, share it all with. And he's a wonderful guy. But I really enjoyed sharing that with my friends as well. So it's this idea that like, you know, you go to a wedding and you'll you'll hear a speech where where people will sort of say, oh, you know, her life began when she met him or blah, blah, blah. Oh, no. And and actually one of the nice things he's so he's older than me. I'm I'm 47. He's 56. And we, we each bring a whole life to it. Yeah. You know, life lived in different circumstances and 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 it's brought us it's brought us together and and if you know circumstances led to us not being together anymore which i hope they won't but they could i'll still be me yeah i think it's interesting there's so many things that i want to pick up on but 
firstly, I think it's so interesting to think about people who do get together later in life. Mm. And, you know, and for you, it's not like you haven't, you've, you've never been married. Um, I don't know about him, but do you know what I mean? It's, it's, yeah. I think there's a very different dynamic and potentially really great dynamic when it comes to shacking, shacking up with yeah. someone when you are that much older. And I kind of feel like if I was to meet someone and move in with them, I think I think that there is a almost a higher probability that that is going to last because I think there is something to be said for getting together with somebody when you're that much older because mm-hmm. you know when I look I mean I'm constantly amazed when people say that they've been with their partner since they were like 23 I look at my 23 year old self and I I was I mean I'm the same, you you know, we were just saying we're the same, but we're also not the same. Mm. I was a baby when I was 23. Like to think that I would have been with the same person since I was 23 to now 47 is is completely inconceivable to me. And now I'm not saying that it can't be great. And I'm sure there are many people out there who got together with somebody in their, in their early 20s and they're still together in their, you know, late 40s. But what I am saying is that I do think that there is, getting together with somebody when you're that much older actually there's something really cool about that and there's it's almost as if you're you know it's that cliche of you know yourself better mm. you just you know who you are and like you say you are not looking to him to complete you because you already are complete you've already lived a life of 47 freaking years you you have a massively successful career you've got you've got a life you've got shit going on you don't need him to complete you. Let's just rewind to what we were saying. I just wanted to pick up again on how we'd started talking about the fact that there is this, you know, you know, when people sort of do the head tilt when you say you're single, like, oh, and you're like, no, no, no. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's one of the things I find most frustrating. And I'd love to talk to you about this because I feel really strongly about this. There is no part of me that feels like I am lacking in anything that I need because mm. I'm not in a relationship. I have people I love and people who love me. And I and I get the things that I need from different people in my life. Do you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. I'm incredibly lucky like that. I now have a cat and that's just like an extra <laughs> added element, this poor cat who I'm just like, I mean... Talking about, you know, you were mentioning grief about not having a kid earlier. And I've also been oh. through that. This poor cat is like getting the full force of my maternal instincts <laughs> coming out. This poor little guy. Anywho, but but yes, I do find it frustrating because the way that people sometimes assume that if you're not in a relationship, then you're somehow lacking in, you know, whatever. I mean, OK, yes, you know, I'm lacking sex. I'm not going to lie. But it's it's these sort of emotions because one thing that I will say is that, you know, we have put so much on, you know, I think you mentioned something about it earlier in terms of our, the romantic relationship is the thing in your life. It is the center of your world. Everything else kind of orbits around it. But that is kind of, you know, all of you. It's like you and your partner and that's like the most yeah. important thing. But in actual fact, Years ago, when people weren't even marrying for love, women were getting everything that they needed from a variety of other people in their lives. Can you speak to that, Marie? 
Absolutely, absolutely. And I th- I think that it's no coincidence that um, although obviously the, the, the male narrative, the kind of male hero narrative, he will eventually be rewarded by, you know, women like go off on a quest and get a princess. We still don't put the um, romantic relationship at the center of of our stories about men. And when I say stories, I mean our our social cultural stories. I don't mean our our kind of, you know, our fictional stories. The story about men is that work is at the center of their their selfhood and that if they become successful in in work and their careers, they will inevitably be rewarded with a woman who is impressed with them and impressed with their wealth and impressed with their achievement. And, And they will be rewarded with one or more women, whether it's a wife, whether it's a kind of sexy model girlfriend, whatever it is. So, so the, the, there is a woman at the center. I mean, gay people don't even feature in these sorts of narratives, right? But like, so the narrative is for a heterosexual man, um, he, his, his life, his achievement, his goals are at the center of his world. And the consequence of achieving those goals is that he will be rewarded with, with a compliant female. That's the story about men. The story about women is we do things like work and have careers to fill our empty lives while looking for love. That is the story that we tell about women. Oh my gosh, it's so true. Yeah. It really is. It it, Um, it is. It really is. And it's just, I mean, actually, I'd love to know your thoughts on whether, do you think that these narratives are shifting? Because there's a part of me that thinks that they are that's probably something to do with a, you know, having a podcast called Spinster mm-hmm. Imagine and being in this world. So there is a part of me that feels really hopeful, but there's also a part of me that thinks, God, you know, some conversations that I still have, or some of the things that people still say, we have got, you know, decades and decades and decades and decades to go before there really is a a, a significant shift in that cultural narrative around I mean I was reading an article this morning in the Guardian which was saying you know there's been a huge survey huge UN survey and nine out of ten people still in the world still believe that women are inferior to men and they think that it will take 168 years to close the gender gap in you know in in all areas so yeah we're we're a long we're a long way away and I'm not immune you know, I speak, it's, we have these conversations, you know, and it's it's easy to talk the talk, but I'm, I'm not immune to it. I do think that it's getting easier to talk about these things. I do think there's more of a multiplicity of viewpoints, a multiplicity of voices. I think more and more people, and, you know, it's evident in the way that we do uh, see and celebrate women's achievements much more. And there's just a lot more understanding that we are more than our marriages. But, you know, progress is not linear. And and also we've all internalized a hell of a lot. So recently um, I started letting the gray come into my hair and I had all kinds of reasons um, for doing that. Some of it was laziness. I just thought I can't be bothered with the time and the effort and the mess and the money anymore. Some of it was noticing that there are a lot of really cool women around with gray hair. A very big part of it was you know, I'm 47 and I'm questioning more and more, why do I feel that my value exists in looking younger than I am? Why has it always been important to me? How, why have I always felt flattered when people have guessed my age as being younger? What is wrong with being the age that I am and looking the age that I am and that I can express 
my enjoyment of my appearance through my choices of clothing or the way that my hair is cut, but I could let it become the the natural color that it is. Now, I walk around saying this and thinking this and feeling very empowered about it. But the truth of the matter is, if I really drill down, that these are all my reasons for letting my hair go gray. But my reason for letting my hair go gray now is because I'm in a committed relationship. And up until now, I was afraid that if I let my hair go gray, that men would not find me attractive and that, and that I wouldn't, it would hinder me in meeting someone. And I don't feel great about that as a, as a motivation, but I can't deny it. It's, it's, it's the truth. I didn't feel, and I had some friends who were married who started letting their gray come in. And I just thought, well, yeah, you can but I can't because I need to look young so that I can attract someone, you know, and that's, that's depressing on quite a few different levels. And of course, you know, I now realize from my comfortable smug seat on the, you know, on the, on the, on the smart side of the tracks, right. My smug, my smug married place that actually, you know, the guy that I'm with wouldn't have, wouldn't have cared at all about, my hair color. I was just going to say, and and I, I'm complete, look, here I sit with highlights in my hair. We were having mm. a conversation about this before we press record. And we, we well, thank you for remembering to, to pick up on this subject because it's such an important one. And I, I guess subconsciously, I feel the same because let's face it, if I genuinely did not give a shit I oh god that's so weird you just switched over to the other side of the screen well on yours yeah, you as well no I stayed in the same place but suddenly a hand went up in the corner oh my god that's so weird Spooked. it's that's so weird I'm so used to my guests being on the left and me being on the right and that was the other yeah. way around oh my gosh anyway I won't bother editing it because um it's probably quite amusing anyway <laughs> um no all I can say is that if I'm honest with myself I keep highlighting my hair not for me, because because if it was for me, I'd be like, you know, oh, screw this, like money, time, you know. Yeah. Obviously, it's not for me. It's for other people. It's because of how I am perceived. Yeah. And ultimately, it's because, and I take my hat off to you for embracing the grey, but like you say, it's kind of now you're in the smug married camp. Da, 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 da. Mm. It's because I think I'd feel the same way. I think I'd feel if I was in a relationship, maybe I'd go, do you know what? Fuck it. I'm just gonna like let this happen. Mm. I, I'm I'm not sure I'm there yet, but I'm set I mean, I'm 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 not there yet personally, but perhaps that is sub- subconsciously because mm. I'm still single and therefore I feel that need to look younger. But it is, I mean, this is a whole freaking thing. Yeah. Again, it's a thing that got, I mean, how many guys dye their hair? In fact, it's funny because whenever I see, I, I was walking over Richmond Bridge literally yesterday and I saw a guy who had quite clearly dyed his hair. And it and it's because it's so obvious when a guy's yeah. dyed his hair, isn't it? And the reason I was like, oh, I noticed it is because you rarely see guys yeah. dye their hair. Yeah. Why do guys not dye their hair? Because they don't bloody need to and they, they don't, don't have that same pressure. I mean- yeah, it's just it's so crazy the whole concept of women looking younger. I mean, this is just a whole subject that I could just you know go on and on about because I find it so so interesting and infuriating and just really frustrating and really unfair. And I suppose I feel it's unfair yeah. because I feel mm-hmm. like I'm kind of the victim of it because I've got a 
look as young as I possibly can for as long as I can. But like you said just now, it's like, why do we feel like we need to look younger than the actual mm. we are? We should be going, hey, let's celebrate the fact that we've made it to freaking 47. We've known each other since we were 13 years old and here yeah. we still are. How lucky is that? Yeah. Not all of us have made it. It's all it's it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And actually, although I want to leap in and just pick you up on on a little expression that you use, I think we all say it. And um, you said, (laughs) because I'm still single. And yeah, I noticed I noticed and that's that's the lie as well about relationships is that you're single and then you meet until you meet someone and then you're with them and and like your single life is over actually people go in and out of relationships um my uh my partner is a widower you know that's that's a different that's a different question again like did he then become still single like what does it even mean it doesn't mean it doesn't mean anything but it tells us something it really tells us something about you know and even the most even the most enlightened even the most like by which I mean you you know sort of even the most aware even you know all of us we've been indoctrinated we've been indoctrinated into into seeing life's path as as only being one way and I have to say, I have this incredible gratitude to one of my aunts who she lives in Botswana, so I don't see her terribly often. I'd gone out to visit her. I don't know how long ago it was, you know, 10, 15 years ago or something. And she asked me if I was in a relationship as people always do and did. And I kind of slightly downheartedly said, no, I'm not. And she said, um, well, it doesn't matter. You'll still have an amazing life because you're you. Oh, Gosh, what a refreshing, amazing response. Yeah. And I carried that with me. Wow. I just carried that with me. Wow. And and I mean, yeah, I am I am in a relationship now. I am happy about being in a relationship. But in the years where I haven't been in a relationship, it's been really important to me to be a role model to my nieces in particular. You know, I have five nieces who are, you know, in adolescence or early 20s. And to to sort of say to them, this is a different model of how you can live. And it's it's just as good. And in so many ways and around being in relationships and also around having children, even if you are in a committed relationship, these things do not happen on command. You know, I, I would imagine that the number of people, particularly the number of women who get to have the number of children that they want at the time that they want to have them, is vanishingly small because either they want to have kids, but they're not in the circumstances where they can, or they their bodies will not allow them to have them. Or sadly for many women in the world, they've been pushed into some kind of marriage and, and childbearing position that they have no control over and therefore are having more children than they want, or they're having them earlier than they want. Like it's not something that we can all just go, you can't put it into a spreadsheet and go, well, you know, I'm going to have uh, my first child at 26 and my second child at 29 with the guy that I meet, you know, my first boyfriend out of university or whatever it is. It's not going to happen that way. For some people, it might. But the vast majority of people, are you're just playing the hands that you've been dealt. And it doesn't make you better or worse. It's just this is the way that your life is panning out. Yeah. You know, so embrace, embrace what you have. Totally. I've mentioned, in fact, before I say this about my niece, I'm just going to say to the listeners, I'm ashamed of myself for having completely fallen into the trap and have just described myself as still single. 
but it just tumbled out of my mouth. Don't be ashamed, though, because you gr- you've grown up in this. Awful. You've grown oh, up in this society. Off. What can you do? Say again. You've grown up in this society. You you can't you can't take it all out of yourself. It's yeah. the reason why you're interested in this subject is because you feel the pressure. You feel the need to speak out against it because it's inside you. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, I mean, but just the irony of of me having like completely unintentionally just said still single when I could have do mm. the sentence that I was saying, I could just as easily have said single. But actually mm. the, you know, I mean, you'll probably know this from the podcast, but I, the thing that I really want to say you know, the main message that I want to get out there with this podcast, one of the main messages is the fact that it gets to be just as good. It, the mm-hmm. life that I live yeah. feels just as good as the life that I see my friends living. I don't feel that I'm lacking. It's just, it's different. It's very different. Now, one thing I do want to cover with you, mm-hmm. because when I when I think of you, and I've always felt like this, you know, when someone springs to mind, obviously, you know, you have an image of them in, in your mind. Da, 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 da. So when I thought of you over the years, the image of you that came to mind when I thought of you through our teens and 20s was never, you know, shacked up with a husband, barefoot, pregnant, babies around your feet. It wasn't. And I mean that with love and I mean that with respect. And if anything, I mean that as a compliment because I saw you as going on to do something else with your life that didn't necessarily I didn't have you down as you know getting married mm-hmm. whereas other friends who you and I both know I would have absolutely thought oh my god she's you know I can totally see her with babies and that's who she is and that's blah blah blah, blah. so I just wanted you to talk a little about a little bit about the times that you, you know the long periods of time that you've had when you were single and how you felt in those times and whether you struggled in them or whether you like, did you get to a point when you were single where you absolutely loved it or did you never get to that point? How did you feel in those? Oh, I definitely, I definitely um, enjoyed being single. And I don't mean that in the way that people often do. The subtext often of I enjoyed being single is I was always out getting drunk and getting laid and having a crazy time. I was not out getting drunk and getting laid and having a crazy time. Like years, years, years and years would go by where I wouldn't even kiss anyone. Like nothing would happen. And again, this is part of like what I'm saying is like, you know, sometimes I'd be like, what have I been doing? Do I have a narrative? Because I don't even have romances. I just, I'm just off doing something, as you say, I'm just do, off doing something else. And also you're, just, had, you're actually off just living your life. Yeah, you're I living a, your life. That's the thing. I had a passion. I have a passion and my passion is writing. You know, my passion is my, is my work. And, and so I, I was very, I was very focused on that. And, but it's difficult because it's not even a question of, the cliche about a woman choosing between her career and her relationship. Cause I don't think it works that way either. There are plenty of people who are passionate about their work who are in relationships. I just mean, in a way it, it didn't, it didn't feel like a choice for good or for bad. I just lived. And then sometimes there were men and sometimes there weren't. And for long stretches of time there weren't. And I think that was partly because I didn't really want to compromise 
again, that sounds almost insulting. One of the things that's very hard as a woman in talking about your life is we are culturally set up to suggest that if I say this path is right for me, the subtext is, and therefore everyone else should be doing what I did. That is not my belief, but with, but but things are often reported. You know, you can say, I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to have sex with a lot of different guys. And that makes it sound like, and women who did are therefore slutty and terrible. No, I'm just talking about what worked for me. And I, I wasn't interested in casual encounters. It just, I tried, you know, and I didn't like it. It just didn't work for me. So, so, you know, immediately the number of people who I might have ended up, you know, getting off with or whatever was, was smaller because most of the time I'd, I'd see, you know, there'd be something on offer and I just think, Oh, I'm just not really interested in pursuing that. But I was, I was having fun. I was with my friends. I was, I was into music. I was going to gigs. I was going to theater. I was, I was writing later. I was performing. Like it was one of the things that was sometimes there and sometimes wasn't it but but it was no in a way it's no different from me saying there were years when I didn't go on holiday because I because I was I had other things to do like it just or I you know I didn't have the money all the time or whatever it was right sometimes I don't go on holiday and sometimes I do sometimes I'm not in a relationship sometimes I am you know it just and so yes I it was never going to be it's true. It was never going to be an aim. It was never really a priority. There was a lot of time when I felt there was something wrong with me. There was a lot of time when I felt that that I must be single because, because I'm not lovable, because I'm annoying, because I have anxiety, because I'm too much of a handful, because I'm weird, because you know, any of these reasons, insecurities, because that's, I'm reflecting back what, what I'm being told in every, you know, in every possible way from, from casual remarks, from, you know, casual acquaintances to switching on the TV or reading a book that tells you, you know, that, you know, it's like that song, but not for me, when every happy plot ends in a marriage knot, but there's no not for me, you know, so, so yes, of course, and and it's funny it's it, you know i was going to say yeah there were times when i when i missed when i missed sex but it's interesting of course that plenty of people are in long term relationships not yeah. having sex and plenty of people are in happy long term relationships not having sex but you they can't talk about it and they can't tell anyone about it because it's culturally just not spoken about but that you know that can be a thing so you you can be single and having loads of sex you can be in a relationship and not having any sex at all so and everything in between but yeah so I missed you know that I would have missed sex I missed cuddling you know I miss just physical closeness the cat is very good for for snuggling I did used to joke that if you have a good flatmate a cat and a vibrator you basically have covered all of your bases and you don't need Uh to cover it all Uh that's perhaps a little harsh um (laughs) But it's not that far off. <laughs> but I I just, yes, of course, there were long stretches. And, and as I said, my 30s were the worst because it felt like there was something wrong with me. After I broke up with um, my most recent partner, I was, I was single then for three and a half years before I met Andrew. And it was so much easier because there's no pressure. Yeah. Because... I mean, bluntly, after a certain age, you're not going to have a baby. You don't, it doesn't come with anything. 
It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't come with anything other than the thing itself. It's yeah. You're not waiting for someone to set up home with because you're living somewhere. Let's face it, you're in your 40s. You've figured out yeah. where you're living. You're not going to have a child together. You might get pets. But ultimately, you they're just bringing themselves. You're just bringing yourself. So the pressure is off, and it's such a relief. It's so, so yeah, cool. being single in my 40s, big improvement, big improvement. And also people, I think, had finally got used to the idea they got used to me being on my own and they could see that I was happy and enjoying myself. And so those little questions about my marital status kind of dissipated. But what was interesting was when I did tell people that that I was moving in with my boyfriend, most people got very excited. Oh, wonderful. Congratulations. Which is great. I mean, it's lovely having people say that. But one of my wisest friends, who's 10 years older than me and has been married, is currently not in a relationship, has had plenty of adventures, plenty of plenty of men and some women come and go, and currently is on her own. She just said, that will be fun. And I thought, brilliant. Yes, it will be fun. It is fun. But how wonderful for her to not put that at the center of everything. She was happy for me, but she didn't make it sound like everything up until now has been a dress rehearsal. Yeah, that, and that's exactly it. I mean, that you've just hit the nail on the head. That's the thing. It's like the concept that that single people are all waiting until they yes. get the relationship. And yeah, I've no, I I don't think I've ever heard it said as a dress rehearsal, but I love that because it's it's just a brilliant analogy. It's like yeah, we're, this you know this is the life that I'm living now is not a dress rehearsal. It is my actual life and it feels like my actual life and it feels great. And most of the time I'm pretty damn happy, but it is that idea that, that, you know, like you say, most of your friends are like, Oh my God, yeah, congratulations. And of course, you know, not taking away from people saying congratulations. That's amazing. But I love the response of your other friend who, like you say, didn't make it, didn't react as if, well, now your life is made. Because you have now, you sit, you know, that's just like, you've just tied it all up nicely because now mm-hmm. you've got a boyfriend. And that's the point, isn't it? It's just, yeah. it's bonkers. Marie, I'm I'm aware that we've been speaking for over an hour, uh, which is not surprising. And we could probably go on for another three, but I do try and keep these podcasts to around about an hour. So I want to ask you your, because I'm sure you'll have some some words of wisdom. So Talk about, if you wouldn't mind, what you see as being the sort of the fabulous things about being on your own and the fabulous things about not having kids. And I always sort of try and try and say this from the point of view of those listeners who are feeling really low about it, because I I have listeners who are feeling really low about it, who are feeling, you know, feeling like failures, who are feeling ashamed of who they are purely based on the fact that they're they're single, and. I'd love to hear what you what you have to say to them. I would say that the amazing opportunity of being single is that you can get to know yourself. No filter, no one to impress, no one to tell you what to do, no one to compromise for. You know, compromise can be a beautiful thing in the right circumstances, but you have the opportunity to look within and go, 
What do I want? What makes me happy? What makes me feel fulfilled? You know, how do I like spending my time? You know, do, am I an outdoorsy person? Am I an indoorsy person? What are my passions? What films do I want to watch? What music do I like to listen to? What do I like to eat? What hours do I like to sleep? Um, all of these things, when you're with someone, these are these are decisions that you need to make together. And, and you're always consciously or unconsciously meeting their needs and um, or taking into account their needs or defying their needs and then being with someone who feels unhappy because they're not getting their needs met. They, you know, these are when you're on your own. I mean, it's so basic, but when you're on your own, you can just it's not just that you can do what you want, but you can you can listen, you can tune in, you can you can listen to to what your body is asking for. And then you can you can find out how to meet those needs. And the, the more that you do that, the better all your relationships will be. And I don't just mean your romantic relationships, but you will show up in a different way for your family. You will show up in a different way. If you if you say you've got kids, so you, you don't have a partner anymore, you'll show up in a different way for your kids. You'll show up in a different way for your work. You'll show up for, in a different way for your friends because you have that opportunity to find your truth and live it and that is not so easy when you're in a relationship with someone else and if you can do that you know without wishing to go down the still single route but assuming that most people at some point will have one or more relationships whether they're short or long if you can figure out who you are while you're on your own you are bringing something incredible into that relationship because you 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 already know what you need and you can then you can ask for it or you already know what you have to offer and you can share it. So this time is, is precious time. It is precious, precious time, you know, to be in a relationship with yourself and, and to, for that to be meaningful. And ultimately that is the one relationship that is never going to go away. And you will take that with you wherever you go and whatever you do. So for me, I, like I said before, probably more than once, I'm still me. I am still the person I was a year ago when I wasn't in this relationship. I am now. And should this relationship come to an end for any reason, I will still be me as I as in the aftermath. And that is what I would say. You matter. You have value. You have worth on your own as yourself. And that is what you have to bring into the world. What a brilliant answer. I mean, just a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant answer. Just incredibly wise words. And actually, one this is sort of almost contradicting the the conversation that we're having and the message of the podcast. But I'm sure there are lots of listeners who do hope to be in a relationship at some point. You know, I know I know that there are people listening who are very happy being single, and they're a bit kind of they're a bit like, well, I'm probably going to be single forever, but I'm fine with that, whatever. But there's also a lot of people who I know hope to meet someone, and actually you're 47 like me and you've just recently met someone and now you've moved in with him a few weeks ago and so the point is that you know I I, I don't want to be I don't want to do the cliche and go you never know what's around the corner but you don't know what's around the corner and it you know you are not too old I think it's very easy to especially as a woman when you kind of hit 40 I mean I remember when I hit 40 I think I got ironically I think I got into a relationship when I was 39 um and then was out of it thank god um within <laughs> a couple of years but um 
I think there is a danger of when you when you cross the sort of 40 threshold as a particularly as a woman as so many things are particularly as a woman there's that feeling of oh my gosh I'm too old no one's ever going to fancy me blah, 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 blah. and you know you are proof right here right now that you're 47 years old and you've recently got into a relationship and you're happy and you've moved yeah. in yeah so we're not too old. Oh no, my my aunt, um, you know, she, her her husband died a few years ago, and she she's in her seventies, and she recently started a new relationship, and is madly in love, and swept off her feet. Well, there Relationships you go. You know, they, they come age. and they go. They come and they go. Yeah. Some of them come and stay, and others go very quickly. And and you know, it's it's just you can't control it. And I think we want to be able to control it because it's scary that we can't control it. But you can't, you can't. And, you know, even the people who are listening who think no way, never again, they might meet someone who, they're, who they fall for. Yeah. And sadly, yeah, there's some people listening who think I desperately want a relationship and maybe it just won't happen, but it doesn't mean anything about them. Yeah. It doesn't mean that they're worse. It doesn't mean that they're less lovable. It's just what I was saying. It's the difference between one person and zero people. Yeah. People in relationships don't have hundreds of people who are in love with them. It was just one doofus who, <laughs> who showed up one day, right? <laughs> so it's that. It's that. You're you're only it's only one fewer than everyone else. It's not a huge difference. And and yeah, I mean, it's of course we want love. And of course, we live in a society which puts romantic love to the fore and of course the loving relationship is a wonderful thing like I would never say that and when I was single I would never have said that either but it's the idea that it is the be all and end all and that it will transform you it won't transform you you still have to go to work you know you still you're still going to get colds in the winter like nothing (laughs) has changed in many ways yeah as you have said, you know, more than once in this conversation, you're still you and whatever you take into a relationship. And I bang on about this until the freaking cows come. I'm sure people are bored of, bored of me saying it, but whatever you take into a relationship is not going to be solved within a relationship, which is why it's so important. Like you were just saying, you know, and, and it is an opportunity to be able it's a privilege to have that time to go inwards and do that work on yourself and i and you, you don't know. and you don't do it because you're going to bring it into a relationship you do it because it's it's because it makes your, your life life's work that yeah. is your life's work totally well i think that is a moment to to wrap this up much as i could carry on talking to you for hours but te- thank you so much for for coming on but tell our listeners how they can find you, how they can follow you, book names, how they can buy the book, da, 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 all of that stuff. The easiest thing to do is to go to mariephillips.co.uk. There double are two L. L's in my surname. <laughs> yes, double L. Obviously. Mariephillips.co.uk will tell you everything that you need to know. Um, my books are on there. Um, my live dates for performances are on there. Um, and um, there's a link where you can sign up to my sporadic um, mailing list as well. So mariephillips.co.uk. Cool. Oh, and I, I am going to list the books, though. I am going to list the books. I was like, <laughs> oh, that'll do everything. I'm like, no, also go and buy 
please. So there's uh, Gods Behaving Badly is my novel about Greek gods in um, modern London. The which Table was made of Lessons, into a film. Don't, don't is, gloss over that. Which was made into a film with um, Stone. Uh, Christopher Walken, Sharon Stone, Elisa I mean, Silverstone, lots of big names. Then there's The Table of Less Valued Nights, which was um, long listed for the Bailey's Prize. There's a book called, and that one's about Arthurian mythology. There's Oh, I Do Like to Be, which is, it's a rewriting of the Shakespeare story, The Comedy of Errors, but it's in a modern seaside town and it features clones of William Shakespeare. <laughs> and then, yes, um, as I mentioned, Create Your Own Midlife Crisis, which is my distillation of all my wisdom about midlife into a choose-your-own-adventure game where whatever you do, um, your life will fall apart in a number of comically entertaining ways. And then, yes, all my storytelling um, you can find uh, you can find on the website mariephillips.co.uk and then you can find out where you can see me perform. Amazing. Thank you so much. And guys, go and buy Marie's book because as I said earlier, this girl, as you probably know after this conversation, is she's brilliant. Yes, that, that that's all there is to it. Thank you so, so much for your time. And it's lovely to have you on Spinsterhood Reimagine. Thanks, love. Oh, thank you for having me. It has been ridiculously good fun. You're welcome. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this episode of Spinsterhood Reimagined. I really hope you guys enjoyed my conversation with Marie. Um, isn't she just so brilliant, so articulate, so bright? She She's funny, she's cool. I absolutely love her. If you have enjoyed this or indeed any episode of Spinsterhood Reimagined, would you consider leaving me a review? I cannot tell you how much it helps me. Um, As I always say, I need to grow this podcast in order to be able to keep doing it, which is what I really want you to do. And from your feedback, I think you guys would like me to carry on doing it too. So please, if you haven't already, and if you have, thank you so much. But if you haven't already, please, 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 would you consider leaving just a short review, preferably five star on, on Apple Podcasts if possible. And if not, no worries, you can um, you can rate it on Spotify, which literally takes two seconds. Either would be amazing. And please do let me know if you do review it because I'd love to be able to thank you personally. Do come and follow me on Instagram if you're not already at Spinsterhood Reimagined and feel free to drop me a line um, either in the DMs there or on email. I'm lucy at lucymegason.com. That's M-E-G-G-E-S-O-N.com. I would love to hear from you. I always welcome any feedback, um, any guest recommendations uh, and just general comments about the podcast. It's um, really great to get your feedback. So thank you for those of you who have contacted me over the last year and a bit of doing this show. Okay, well, that is all from me. Um, I'll see you guys back here on Saturday for my mini-sode. But in the meantime, please do not forget that one fine day, I will, oh yes, I bloody well will, get Jennifer Aniston on this podcast. See you later. Bye. Bye.